Thank you very much for your warm welcome, and it's a great privilege to be with you uh, here uh, today and uh, to be able to open up God's Word with you and uh, share these things uh, from the Scriptures. So please turn to the passage that was read for us, uh, to Isaiah chapter 40, and we're looking at the first 11 verses. As a family, uh, we'd, uh, we'd brought our family up in Leicester, uh, pretty much throughout their uh, childhood days and, and so on. So it was really our family home. But we left there uh, nine years ago, eight, eight and a half years ago, and uh, went down to Bristol to live and uh, settle there. And then, uh, during lockdown, cover of darkness and all that sort of thing, we came back to live in Leicester. And we came back to live in the very same house that we'd left. We couldn't sell it. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted to buy it. And so we rented it out and uh, came back to it. I wonder, how do you feel? How do you think we felt uh, as we did so? As we arrived back to our old place, same rooms and... uh, brought our old stuff back into the house, and uh, it was like this. It's good to be home. After seven years of exile in Bristol, not that Bristol's a bad place, anyone here from Bristol? I don't know, but uh, uh, it's quite a good place to live, but uh, it was good to be back home. I wonder if you had those sort of feelings. Perhaps going home for Christmas for some of you. I've got a a nephew, Josh, who lives in Germany, and he travelled back home for Christmas. And with the pandemic, of course, that uh, had been quite a rare thing for him to get home. So he could say, it's good to be home. Like Bing Crosby's uh, song of old, driving home for Christmas, uh, and so on. But, uh, you know, our exile in Bristol was nothing... Uh, compared to what the Jewish people were going to experience as Isaiah spoke to them. In the first half of the book, he tells of their sin, exposes their sin, uh, and points this out to them and tells them that judgment is coming. And that judgment was going to be to be taken into a, another land. Uh, and here... Strange words they didn't understand and uh, confusing words. Uh, And then the promise was, uh, and we find something of that here, that they're going to come home to their own land. Uh, And uh, you can imagine, there they were, they were going to be in exile. What would they long for? They'd long to be home. They'd long to be back in their own place. They want to be back with their own people uh, and back in their comfort and security. Uh, And uh, you'd ask them where they were in their place of exile. What do you want most? And surely they'd say, to be home. To be home in in our own land, to be home in our, our own place, to be home in our own situation. And uh, I guess uh, for us, 
as we go through this life, and it's a broken world, and we're broken people, and there's lots of troubles and difficulties and struggles, and we've just been through a pandemic, and all the disruption that that's caused, and the suffering, and the hardship as well for many people, financial hardship, and uh, and struggles, and uh, and uh, many people have suffered mental health issues uh, as a consequence. What comfort do we need? And add to that our own failings and the shame of that and how often we trip up and we let the Lord down and, uh, 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 and the struggles of that. What comfort do we need? Well, I think we'll find here, here is a message of true comfort, real comfort. Uh, that's uh, told by Isaiah as God instructed him. He wrote, this is sort of halfway through the book, the first half of the book, uh, at the beginning of the Isaiah's ministry, at the beginning of my Isaiah speaking, a good king had died, Isaiah. Now at this juncture, another good king, Hezekiah, was coming to the end of his days uh, and of his uh, governance of, of the people. When Isaiah, when Uzziah died, Isaiah had a vision of God. And here as Hezekiah is coming to the end uh, of his life, he sees something of the Lord. So let's look at what this says. What comfort do we need? What comfort do you need? What comfort do I need? in our lives in these days. And uh, I'd say the first thing we need to do is see that the Lord is tender and gracious. You've got the uh, new sheet. Uh, that uh, There are some sermon points in there uh, for this. The Lord is tender and gracious. Firstly, he is so personal with these people. Can you see that in the very opening verses, opening words that Isaiah has here? Comfort, comfort, my people says your God. And when you read the earlier chapters and you see what uh, uh, the case God has about their waywardness and their sinfulness and their hypocrisy, uh, and yet... He still says they are my people and uh, that he is their God. He is still their treasured possession. That's an amazing thing and that's a wonderful thing uh, for you and I as are, who are Christians. And if you're like me, you know how often you fail and, and, uh, uh, and uh, come short of what you ought to be uh, and uh, the shame we feel so often. But God doesn't cast us off. He still owns us as his own people. And he speaks with great tenderness. That's the next thing. Comfort uh, with great tenderness. The word comfort means to strengthen. Those of us who are older, I put myself in that bracket now, will remember, I think it was synatogen vitamins were meant to fortify 
the over 40s. Well, that was a long way off then for me, but uh, it's now the, a long way off the other way for me. But uh, fortify, uh, that's the word uh, from which the root word of comfort, to strengthen, uh, to put power into. Uh, and that's really the essence of what uh, uh, Isaiah is saying. Comfort, but it's a comfort of tenderness. Putting backbone into these people, but speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And the word there is a word of, of, uh, as if you were wooing a young lady. Those who go according, as the, the old, uh, term used to be, um, wouldn't speak roughly or, or, or harshly to, uh, a young lady whose heart they want to win. They'd speak gently, tenderly. Uh, and it's that kind of word that, uh, Isaiah is speaking of God addressing his people. How is he with his own people? Yeah, they're his people, his treasured possession, and he speaks tenderly to them. Words of comfort. And then, here's the amazing grace of God. There is forgiveness for them. And this is quite a mystery, really. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The Lord wants to pardon their sins and tell them that their sins have been dealt with and paid for fully. Uh, And so he says this to them. That's an amazing thing. Does this mean that the, the exile paid for their sins, that going into exile, it was for 70 years in the land of Babylon? Is that the idea that uh, Isaiah has here in this passage? I think it's something else uh, that he's thinking of here. However long they were in exile, however much they repented, however changed their lives were, however much they tried to do what they hadn't done before and undo what they'd done before. They could never sort it out, could they? And that's true of us, of you and me. We are sinful. We've wronged not just others and ourselves, but we've wronged God himself. We've offended him. What can we do about it? We can't undo that which we've done. We can't make up what we've failed to do. We can't sort our own problems out. We can't even change ourselves, can we? Turn over a new leaf and try again and uh, and start over afresh and we mess up again. Something deeper has to happen. And I think that's what Isaiah is speaking of here in this passage. I don't know if you are fans of C.S. Lewis's Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Perhaps some of you read it to your children. Uh, Perhaps some of you read it as children. Perhaps some of you read it to grandchildren. I love those books. And uh, there's a whole series, isn't there? And uh, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, 
um, Lucy, Susan, and Peter uh, meet with Aslan, who is a figure of Christ in, in the story as it goes, uh, because their brother Edmund has been captured by the White Witch, who's made it all winter but never Christmas, and uh, it's all cold and, and horrible in the land. Can something be done about the magic of the White Witch, as uh, Peter, Susan, and, uh, uh, and uh, Lucy speak to Aslan? He says, all that can be done shall be done. What about the magic? There's a deeper magic, he says. There's a deeper magic. And I think that's really what, what is happening here. How can this be sorted out for the people uh, that Isaiah was speaking to for ourselves as well in our sinfulness? There is a deeper solution that God has. And, you know, Isaiah will unfold this. It's something of the storyline there in the Old Testament. You see it unfolding and growing. And uh, Isaiah has made certain hints at this. And uh, he becomes very explicit when you come in, into Isaiah chapter 53. And he tells us of, of one who would come. Uh, and, and one who would be punished in our room and in our stead. And one who would bear our sin. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And here's the great news that Isaiah speaks of this as in the past tense in, uh, in our little passage here in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 2. There's a sin has been paid for because it's as good as if it's already happened. They were looking forward, anticipating some great work that would be done. We look back to it. And it's the work that Jesus Christ the Messiah, come into this world, did when he suffered on the cross for you and for me. Our sin was paid for. And that was received from the Lord's hand double for all our sins. Isn't that incredible? Do you know, if you never started there, your life will be restless, purposeless, meaningless, empty, until you find the real comfort of this amazing truth that your sins, your wrongdoing against God has been dealt with, forgiven completely, because one paid for that fully in your place, who is Jesus Christ. Have you grasped that? Start there. Find that in Jesus Christ. There was a great preacher in London uh, 120 years ago plus, and C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, you may have heard him, his name if you come here regularly, probably he's been referred to and quoted and so on, but uh, he was a young man of about 16, and uh, he couldn't... Uh, couldn't go to his normal place on a Sunday because of the snow, and he turned into a little village chapel. And he heard there some good news. Look 
unto me and be saved all ends of the earth. And the preacher said, look to Christ. That's what this text is saying. Put faith in him, believe on him. And pointed out to Spurgeon, young man, he said, you look miserable. Look to Christ, believe on him, and you will have life. And you know, at that very moment, Spurgeon looked to Jesus Christ, believed on him, and his life was transformed. He found real comfort, true comfort, in believing on him, and his life was changed. What about you? Have you known that? And perhaps if you're a Christian, we easily slip back into into the old ways of trying to pull ourselves up and sort our own selves out, sort our lives out, instead of looking to what Christ has already done for us. Thinking that we can make amends, we can rectify things, and we can put ourselves right, and God is somehow rates us according to how well we're performing. He rates us according to what Christ has done for us and his performance for us. Put trust in him. Renew your faith in him. So often the devil tempts us to look at our own sins and our own failings and, uh, and feel despair. We sang about that in that lovely hymn. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. I often do that. What are we to do then? Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. So see, firstly, the Lord is tender and gracious. Then, secondly, see, the Lord is purposeful and faithful. What real comfort do we need? Well, see that the Lord is purposeful and faithful. They were facing judgment and exile, and they would long for return to their own land. And what did Isaiah promise them? A highway in verse 3 through to 5. That's incredible, isn't it? A motorway. I like going on the country roads and the country lanes. Coming up from Leicester this morning, I came along through the through the woods and uh, up the got off the motorway and uh, uh, came up. Uh, uh, I don't know which road it is. Anyway, I didn't get lost. Got here on time, but. Uh, my wife likes the motorway. And uh, you know how it is. You get your sat-nav out and uh, it tells you you can either have the fast route on the motorway or you can have the, the shortest route sometimes that goes down the little lanes and uh, you get into all sorts of sticky situations. Sometimes that way. It's happened to me. This is like a huge motorway. A great highway. That is promised for them. The rough places are leveled out. There's been warfare in the land. They've been invaded. The Babylonians have overrun them and uh, there's all rubble everywhere and uh, everything's a mess and walls broken down and so on and, uh, uh, and the roads uh, spoiled. And, uh, and yet here's this great work that takes place to sort it all out and make highway through uh, for the people. Rough ground leveled out and uh, mountains 
brought down and, and hills made low and the valleys raised up. Incredible engineering taking place here. But uh, you think of that, what that meant for the Israelites. They were going to be brutally invaded and dragged off uh, on rough, through rough situations and places. And uh, if I put that there, that might be all right. Okay, thanks. Um, and uh, they were going to be uh, brutally treated and, and pushed along and uh, the, the weak ones discarded and, uh, and uh, thrown aside and, and so on and pushed into a, a land across rubble and so on. And, uh, and here they're being told, you're going to go home and there's going to be a smooth, level road to get there. But you know, there's something bigger here. There's a bigger purpose, a bigger story. I don't know if you've ever watched somebody uh, painting a picture. Uh, my son's a bit of an artist and uh, I love watching him set to work, although it take, takes hours and hours. And, uh, but first of all, there's a, a rough sketch of what he wants to do and just charcoal or pencil or something like that. And, uh, uh, and then the colour starts to fill in and so on, the thing grows. Well, here's a, a growing picture of what this, what this comfort is. What comfort do these people need? What comfort will they see? It's a bit like uh, uh, when Christopher Wren, who was the architect of the rebuild of uh, St. Paul's Cathedral, he visited on site once and found three workmen he asked the first, what are you doing? I'm earning a living. I've got a wife and family to feed and uh, I'm earning a crust for the day. Next one, what are you doing? Well, I'm building a wall with an arch in it. Third one, what are you doing? I'm building a cathedral for the glory of God. He had a bigger picture in mind. Here's this bigger picture. What is this bigger picture? What is this highway for? Do you know, we've got it all wrong. If you think it's all just for the people to come home, to get back from Babylon to their own land, it's not that. It's for God to come to his people and for them to come home to God. You see, that's the real comfort that they needed. They needed to meet with him. And uh, so in verse 5, what it is, what is this? Uh, this uh, rough places made plain and uh, the valleys raised up, the mountains and hills made low, that the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. And then in verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power. And Lift up your voice. Say to the towns of Judah in verse 9, Here is your God. Behold your God. If you know the uh, New Testament, you find that uh, this is uh, spoken of concerning the ministry of John the Baptist, who is the forerunner, the announcer of Jesus. When Jesus started his public ministry. 
Here he is. Behold your God. Here's the great thing. The Messiah's coming. And he is not just a human being. He is God himself. Behold your God. The sovereign Lord comes. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. There's a bigger picture, isn't there? A bigger purpose. uh, And something even bigger uh, than they could imagine. I think there's some hint there. Pointing even further forward to what we are waiting for. What you and I, if you are a believer, if you're... You've got faith in Jesus Christ. You've got a hope. Yeah. You're not just a Christian for what you can get from the Lord in this life. You're looking forward. You're anticipating. And there's coming a day when He will come. The Lord will come. And uh, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And He'll come with power. And he'll rule with a mighty arm, as it says in verse 10. And his reward with him, his recompense accompanying him. That's a bigger purpose, isn't it? That's immense. That's something great. That's something glorious. And it's something absolutely sure. It's a sure promise. It's a promise that won't fail. So this is what Isaiah says in verses 6 through to 8. He talks about people are like grass and their faithfulness like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fail. Fall because the breath of the Lord blows upon them. Years ago, there used to be a saying, an Englishman is as good as his word. It's not so now, sadly. But uh, the trustworthiness of a person sometimes has to be Established has to be proven. If you're a witness in court, if you go, uh, if you're called up to court and uh, you appear as a witness on behalf of something you've seen or behalf of some somebody, uh, you'll be scrutinised as to whether you can be believed or not, and uh, whether your word is reliable. Are you truthful about about other stuff? Then the chances are the likelihood is that you'll be truthful about what you're saying now, unlike many of our politicians. Man fails. He can't keep his word. Human beings are fallible, aren't they? And even if they can keep their word, they don't last because the the wind blows and, and they're gone. It doesn't count anymore. Does it? But, he says, the word of our God endures forever. This is what the people were told. This is their comfort. There's a greater purpose because God himself will come. That was fulfilled when Jesus Christ came, the Son of God, into this world the Messiah, both fully God and fully human, in order to redeem us, in order to rescue us, in order to pay for our sinfulness and bring us to God. What an amazing thing. That was fulfilled and there's more yet to come because he's going to return. 
And this is spoken of, I think, here as well in this passage. And it's absolutely trustworthy and reliable. Believe it. Trust it. That big story will unfold. One last thing. What real comfort do we need? We need to see that the Lord is our good shepherd. I wonder how these people felt. As Isaiah said, the Lord is coming. Behold your God, the sovereign Lord comes with power. It might have been pretty terrifying to these people because all through these first 40 chapters, Isaiah has been telling them about what failures they are and how hypocritical they are. Even in their sacrifices. And how they were meant to be a fruitful vine and there was no fruit there. They failed. And he was the one not only who allowed judgment to come on them and them to be taken off into exile, but he was the one who'd sent this punishment and sent this judgment on them and sent them off into exile. So what would his coming again to them look like? Well, Isaiah says it's good news. Good news for Zion in verse 9. Get up into a high mountain. Bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. For those people then, for us now, we easily have hung on to false views of what God is really like. You think of him as being harsh and mean and uh, threatening us all the time. Yeah, he is a God of judgment. He is a God for whom we are, who is holy. As Isaiah saw, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, but he's a God of great mercy, infinite mercy. That's his, as it were, natural disposition to be merciful. And here, as Isaiah speaks of the Lord coming, what is he like, Isaiah? Is he terrifying? Is it all scary? Have we got to cower? Have we got to hide? Here's the great thing. If you've put trust in him, if you've believed upon him, he is shepherd-like towards you. Verse 11. Look at this. This is quite amazing, isn't it? Right at the beginning uh, of uh, time, uh, right at the beginning of the book of the Bible, the devil tempted Adam and Eve to believe that God was mean and short-changing them and, uh, and harsh with them. And we believe that lie ever since. But here is what God is really like. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He wants to care for his people. He wants to gather them to him. He wants to carry them. Those that are weak and those that are struggling, those that are young, to carry them not just slung over his shoulder, 
I watched uh, a program last night, one of these farming programs, and I just caught a glimpse of it that uh, mother-in-law was watching, and uh, uh, it showed uh, a farmer, a shepherd, carrying two newborn lambs just by their legs. He just picked them up like that and carried them by their legs. Uh, could have slung them around, really. That's not how this shepherd carries the young. It says he carries them close to his heart. He puts them into his arms, carries them on his chest so they can feel his heartbeat, a heartbeat of love for them. (laughs) I love this. Don't you? That's how he is with us. These Jewish people who are going to be brutally invaded and uh, pushed along and shoved along across uh, rough ground and broken walls and, and so on and falling and stumbling and, and dragged off into exile and, and there they were in exile as second class citizens for all those 70 years and, and then here is the comfort that the Lord himself would come to them and he would be home to them and he is gentle He gently leads those that have young. Probably the pregnant youths it's speaking of here. Those that are carrying the young. He gently leads them. You ever known that? Experienced that? Perhaps you've gone through a a rough time and, uh, and perhaps you've even wondered, where is the Lord in all this? Where is my God? You know, I've known people going into hospital for uh, treatment and and perhaps facing cancer and things like that. And uh, I know one person actually said this, that they, they are glad that they went through that experience of that diagnosis and that operation because they knew the Lord so close to them, so near to them, even at such a time. And that's what he is like. He gently leads those that have young in their needs, in their struggles. Isn't that like what Jesus is? Isn't that what he said he is like to his people? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's what he's like. Matthew takes up something that Isaiah wrote just a little bit later on uh, from Isaiah 42 and says, the smoking flax he won't quench, the bruised reed he won't break. He doesn't just snuff out those that are just smoldering now. Uh, And as it were, the life has almost gone from them. He doesn't just break those that are bruised. He mends, he heals, he restores He loves, he deals gently, he deals tenderly with them. Gathers the young in his arms and leads those that have young. That's the kind of God he is. And then, the last thing, I'm sorry this wasn't in the the sheet. He leads us home. We all have that longing for home. We started off with that, didn't we? 
good to be home. It's great to be home after a holiday, isn't it? And uh, home in your own bed. There's nothing like your own bed, is there? But uh, we've got a longing for home. And the wonderful truth that this highway opened up for the Lord is that he might come to us and he might be home for us. And there's even more in that, isn't there? That he might be home, that he might, that we might be at home in him and where he is. Because that's what Jesus promised. That's what his purpose was. Father, I want those whom you've given me to be with me where I am, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. In John chapter 14, he said, I'll come again and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. That's what real home is. Home for him was with his father. Home for us is with him. And in him. And that's where he's leading us and taking us. Weak, struggling, to be home, to be with him. And with him forever. How are we to respond to all this? Well, let me just give you three brief pointers. Firstly, rest. Three R's for you. Rest, rejoice, and ripple. Rest. Rest with assurance in his amazing grace, in God's amazing grace to you. Assurance that your sins are fully and completely dealt with. That's the promise here in this passage. For the people of God, those who put their faith and trust in him, speaking of Judah, her sin has been paid for in verse 2. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all our sins. Why? He paid it all. Jesus Paid it all in his death for us on the cross. Rest assured in that. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Then rejoice in his tender care. His loving tenderness towards you. He's dealing gently with you. He's working in you. He's shaping you. He's molding you. He's repairing you. I don't know if you like that uh, program, The Repair Shop. A lot of people love that program. I've only seen one episode of it, but it's just fascinating, really, that people bring these broken down bits and pieces uh, along to the repair shop and uh, they come back afterwards. Uh, And these experts have taken it apart, cleaned it all up, painted it and so on, and put it all back together and amended it, repaired it, uh, and it's not just as good as new, but even better. And do you know that's what he's doing with us, with you and me. He's fixing us. He's repairing us. And not just so we might live a bit better in this life. He's fixing us up, making us new to live with him in his home forever. That's the good news. Then last thing. 
ripple. You've seen a, a stone dropped into a pond. And right where the stone falls, the ripple starts and then it spreads out right across the whole of the pond. We just had a holiday and uh, uh, we were by a lake. And uh, right in the middle of this lake, one morning, it was absolutely still and all of a sudden there's a ripple. Probably a fish or something broke the surface and that ripple spread right out, right across the whole of this lake. What you've received, how you've grasped that the Lord is tender and gracious with you and has this immense purpose to even bring you home to himself. You find your home in him. Share that. Ripple it out to others. We need so much, don't we? After a pandemic, we've been all sort of isolated and uh, uh, keeping ourselves to ourselves and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, giving safety space and things like that. We need so much to share good things with one another. And this needs to be shared, doesn't it? The tenderness that you've received, instead of harshness and... Uh, Roughness and uh, aggression or, or, or disdain or ignoring somebody to show tender love to them as Jesus shows to us. That's the call to the Christian uh, in our lives, isn't it? That we might live out that which we've received to others. Those in, the, in this coming week as you deal with students on the campus. What an opportunity, isn't it, to share what you've received, to ripple that out to others. The love you've found in Jesus Christ. To share that good news. They're on the campus uh, with so many people that are lost and without any hope and without the love of Christ. May God bless you in that. Let's pray together. Let's bow. Moments prayer. Thank you for this amazing good news proclaimed right from 700 years before Jesus came into this world by Isaiah. Your servant, Lord, thank you for this. And thank you for the real comfort that this found there. Showing to us what you're really like. Forgive us, Lord, that we've harbored harsh thoughts of you sometimes. When you're so full of love and graciousness and tenderness. And thank you for your amazing kindness in dealing with our sinfulness. Lord Jesus, that you paid for our sins in full upon the cross. What we could never do for ourselves, you've freely done for us. That putting faith in you, you know pardon and forgiveness and eternal life. 
And thank you for the great purpose that uh, Isaiah spoke of, of the coming of the Messiah into this world. But Lord, thank you for that even great hope that we have. That yes, he will come. Our God will come. Our Lord Jesus will come. In power and glory and with his reward with him and his recompense. Thank you for all your dealings with us as your people. You're so tender with us. You're so gentle with us. And so often in our needs, we know you're comforting us and uh, coming near to us. Grant, Lord, that day by day we'll experience that and we'll be ready to share that with others too as we've known that the Lord is gracious. Bless us in the great mercy we pray through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.